we have made it into the tribulation. <clears throat> and now the, literally, <laughs> we're in, and um, we are now really into just a lot of the facts and uh, storyline of Revelation. And so that's where we'll be mostly uh, for the next week. So if you wanted to turn to Revelation, I, I think tonight we'll begin in verse or chapter five <clears throat> in the book of Revelation. And um, for those of you that don't know, and uh, I'll just explain it one more time, because I know we had some new folks that didn't quite understand. We are not following that outline that you have in your hand. Okay, that, that is an additional, as I told you, the one that I studied years ago um, from my professor that I loved with the Lord now. But that is an, is an outline that just takes you also chronologically and is saturated with scripture to back up the points that it makes. What we're mainly those two, um, and just covering some things that maybe aren't covered in the outline that you have. Although once in a while, I will refer to that outline. Um, the only thing for those of you that may want to know, the only thing that might be a little bit different is the uh, timing of the, the war that we covered of Gog and Magog that we went over is when does that occur? That's the only thing. Other than that, all of this should kind of fall into place. So tonight we're going to be talking about a few things here, mainly, as I said, dealing with um, Revelation uh, chapter 5. Uh, it's almost like a, a parenthesis. Um, and, and really, although we say chapter six introduces the tribulation because it starts in with all the, um, the judgments. Really chapter five is the one really that introduces all this. And so what we have here is Jesus, um, as the lamb, uh, and this seven sealed scroll and a seven sealed scroll was vitally important in, in old Testament and new Testament times because seven represents what? Completion or fulfillment. And the, um, a lot of people believe that this, this was vital because seven seals would be like the, um, the deed to the earth, the title deed to the earth. They, they, they made all their deeds back then in a scroll form. And so what would happen, like in this case, this seven seal scroll, you would, it would unwrap and then pop, there'd be a seal and there'd be a judgment with that seal. And then, you know, on a little bit more pop, there'd be another seal until you get to seven of them. Um, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Now, Jesus, um, as, as the lamb of God is able to receive this, uh, seven sealed book or scroll. So let's go to revelation five. Because there are some many reading scripture more than just commenting about it a lot. Because let it speak for itself. Especially now that we are in the actual tribulation period. And John says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy? to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, 
was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. Stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, amen, meaning let it be. And the four and 20 elders fell down and worshiped him that lives forever. I want you to notice here the reference as we read it, um, Jesus as a lamb. And, but what did we first read? Jesus as a lion. Jesus as a lamb refers to his first coming and as a lion refers to his second coming. And just a little side note here, this is the only place in Revelation where Jesus is called a lion. All the other places, the word lamb is used. Let me give you the Greek word there. It is A-R-N-I-O-N, Arnion, A-R-N-I-O-N. Why is that important? Because that is a small household pet or a young lamb. It's found 27 times in the book of Revelation and nowhere else in the New Testament, but here. But this is the place where the Lord Jesus is called a lamb, as we have it here, and as a lion. Now, again, the number seven indicates what? Completion or perfection. So when it talks about Jesus's seven horns, we know that he doesn't have horns sticking out, um, but it's talking about his complete dominance, his complete power. The seven spirits uh, of God is talking about the Holy Spirit. You can go back to Revelation 1 and, and find that. But because he was found worthy, because it says you were slain and now you're alive again, 
um, he was able to take the scroll away and is going to be able to open the seals and pour out these judgments. Okay, any comments before we move on quickly? It, it is fitting that Jesus is worshiped as God, amen? And this is a place where he's, somebody had a hand. Is the 420 elders 24 elders or what does that mean? Well, we believe it's talking about real representatives. We don't know who they are. They're not described. They're not um, identified. But we believe that they are really 24 people um, that had probably some significance in the early church, but, but we just don't know. It's one of those things we, we just don't know. Um, all right, let's, let's go now to something else during this time. The, any, anybody have any questions about the book? That's, that's pretty um, self-explanatory um, of what's going on here. So, okay, then let's move on because this is something that a lot of people have questions about. Go to Revelation 7 and verse 4, because now we'll, we'll want to talk for just a minute about the 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams, evangelists, if you will, that are going to rise up and, and take part during this tribulation. So it says in Revelation 7 and verse 4, and I heard the number of them which were sealed and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, one of the people that I was reading yesterday, um, who happens to be more liberal, so I don't put a lot of faith in what they say, believes that the hundred and forty-four thousand is just he called it metaphorical, being a reference to the church. Um, however, everything about the context indicates that it is talking about a literal 144,000 Jewish men because it says there's 12,000 from each tribe who are going to live during the tribulation period. And if you go on over and pick up a little bit more about that story, go to Revelation 14, if you will. Revelation 14. And it says, and I looked and lo, in verse one, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him, a hundred forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. And it says in verse four, these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. To me, the very fact that exact tribes, as we talked about last week, when you go on to verse 5, that exact tribes are named and the exact numbers are mentioned here, to me, removes all possibility that this is just a figure of speech, you know, of the 144,000 representing the church. Nowhere else in the Bible, um, when you talk about the 12 tribes, does it not mean the 12 tribes? Okay, anywhere in the Bible it talks about it, it's, it's to be taken literally. So the backdrop, 
I think, to understanding this 144,000 is that God had originally chosen the Jews to be his witnesses. You remember that? The, the nation of Israel, they were chosen to be his witnesses. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests that would explain God to the world. Well, they didn't do that. And they didn't do that all the way up until God sent his only son, the Messiah. And then when they, of course, rejected him, then the Lord turned away from them. But during the tribulation, then God's going to turn back to the Jews. And these are going to be Jewish believers who, after the rapture, hear the gospel and get saved. How they're going to do it? Is it going to be um, somebody else? Is it going to be... Um, a special prophet that wins them to the Lord? The Bible doesn't say. But it does tell us in Revelation 7, if you're still there, and over into verse um, 9, something interesting. He says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation, how they worshipped him. And in verse 13, it says, um, And one of the elders said, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Where they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these witnesses are evidently going to be sealed by God in a miraculous way so that they can preach. And they'll be preaching to the whole world, not just to the people in Israel, mainly to the Jews, but because the Bible says, and this is another good point for some of you that ask. I remember months ago when we started this, yes, People from every single nation, every tongue, every, every ethnic group, there's going to be people saved. And there's going to be a lot of people saved. Um, I was going to save something and explain it later, but I'm going to explain it now because this, to me, was something that um, helped me to get things in my mind. When you read things in the Bible, like in the New Testament, the story of Jesus, or we may read things here about this huge number that got saved or this huge number that did this, it's important to remember the difference between most and many. Okay, are you with me on that? The difference between most and many. For instance, um, when you read in the New Testament and it'll say, and many believed in the Lord, okay, something happened, and many believed in the Lord, that does not mean most. Okay, it'd be like this. Um, if I said, look, most of these people, and maybe let's say there's a million of them, a million people, most of these people, da-da-da-da. And then I said to you, and many of them are going to be saved. And that many would be 100,000. That's a lot of people, isn't it? 100,000, I could say many got saved, but not most. That means 900,000 didn't. So you have to kind of remember that, you know, when you're reading the Bible and it talks about, you know, well, and many did this. Well, that doesn't mean, all, that doesn't mean the majority. 
You know, it just means number-wise, there was a lot of them. I don't know if that even bothered you, but it bothered me for a long time. If most of them, but it wasn't most of them. You know, it was many of them. Um, Anyway, all right. Any other questions? These witnesses evidently will be sealed. And we we talked about last week, so we're going to skip over that, that the reason Dan was not in there is because of probably idolatry. So we didn't see the tribe of Dan mentioned. Um, Okay, so um, it seems like that these Jews that we talked about are probably, now this may throw you for a loop, but this is what Charles Stanley leans toward. Um, David Jeremiah didn't really comment that much on it. Dr. Wilmington, um, he kind of leaned that way too. He believes that these 144,000 Jews, that they may become saved the same way Paul did. A dramatic miracle would take place in their life and that they would get saved just like when Paul, a Jew himself, had his experience on the road to Damascus. There was nothing precluding that. It was like, bam, you know, he was on his way to do what? Kill Jews and bring them to prison. But God intervened. And, and of course, the same thing could happen. Any comments on that before we move on? Speculation. All right. Now, something else during this time, and we don't know if it will be right at the very beginning. I kind of think it might be in the middle. And that is God is going to, there's going to rise up two witnesses, okay? Two prophetic witnesses. If you wanted to write that down on your, the back of your pages, and they are going to be able to testify to the uh, astounding power of God. And, um, well, okay, let's just go in the Bible to Revelation 11, Revelation 11. And this is about the two witnesses, actually, this chapter. And beginning in verse 3, are you with me? Revelation eleven three, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now, if you divide those days by 360, you know what you're going to get? 42 months. You, exactly. You'll get three and a half years. Uh, okay. It says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Let's stop there. We'll come back maybe a different time and and read the rest of that. But what two people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, seems to mimic these two guys? Moses and Elijah, okay, Um, is a period in which God, of course, dealing with the Jews just like he did in the, you know, in the, that first 69 weeks of Daniel. And Moses and Elijah were considered to be two of the most influential figures in all of Jewish history. 
you know, with Abraham and of course Isaac, Jacob. But these two, as far as miracle workers and fulfilling God's will, Moses and Elijah were two of the most influential. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, what two people appeared from the Old Testament? Moses and Elijah. Those are the same two. Um, Kind of showing how central to the Jewish faith they were. And then the miracles that are portrayed in Revelation 11 are very similar to those that Moses and Elijah performed. Elijah stopped the rain from coming. Then, you know, had the rain come back. Moses turned with God, of course, his power, turned the water into blood and so forth. So um, those are pretty valid reasons, but not going to be dogmatic because these two prophets, they might be two brand new prophets that we don't know anything about. It may not be Moses and Elijah. The, re- the, the context doesn't tell us whether it's in the, um, in the first half or the second half of the tribulation, but we know this. There's got to be at least three and a half years because that's how long it says that they will perform their miracles. We just don't know which half. You know, is it that first three and a half or the last three and a half? I lean toward the first half, um, in my leaning at least, of the tribulation. And the Antichrist, as we'll read later, not tonight, but maybe later, uh, executes these two guys, you know, kills them. Um, and that seems to fit better with the first half um, of the tribulation. Any comments or questions? Some of you are looking like I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Any comments or questions? So we've got the 144,000. Anything you want to share about them? We've got the two prophetic witnesses. Anything you might want to share about them? Yes, that's what they were saying. Anyone else? All right, let's go now to that first half of the tribulation, the judgments um, that we'll see in um, chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, that's where we will be. And I've debated about do we read all of this or do we, I think we'll just mention it um, because I do want to be able to get through, as I told you, by the time we get ready for summer to be, to be done. Um, no, seriously. Um, and you can read and we're going to tell you as we go over what these different um, judgments are. They are in your notes um, from Dr. Wilmington, but we may want to make some more other comments about it. If you've ever heard of a man named J.I. Packer, J.I. Packer, he wrote one of the best books in the world called Knowing God. Excellent book. And here's what he says, and I want to quote from him to open this, this particular part. The reality of divine judgment as a fact is set forth on page after page of Bible history. God judged Adam and Eve, expelling them from the garden and pronouncing curses on their future earthly life. God judged the corrupt world of Noah's day, sending the flood to destroy mankind. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, engulfing them in a volcanic catastrophe. God judged Israel's Egyptian taskmasters, just as he foretold he would, 
unleashing against them the terror of ten plagues. God judged those who worshiped the golden calf, using a whole tribe, the Levites, as their executioners. God judged Nadab and Abihu for offering a strange fire, as later he judged Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who were swallowed up in an earth tremor. God judged Achan for sacrilegious thieving. He and his whole family were wiped out. God judged Israel for unfaithfulness to him after their entry into Canaan, causing them to fall under the dominion of all the other nations. So God is going to judge this earth. And folks, these things that we're going to read now, these um, these judgments, they're pretty drastic, you know, pretty drastic. And we may want to talk, maybe you'll be thinking about how you think that would fit in today, how it would work today. Um, but anyway, Revelation 6, all the way verses 1 through 17, is going to name these different uh, judgments here. The word tribulation, I don't think I even told you this. It comes from the word tribulum, T-R-I-B-U-L-U-M, tribulum. That's a Latin word, and it means to press. And the picture that we are supposed to get in our mind is of people stomping grapes in a wine press. And that that is what God is going to do to the sinful earth is to, in his wrath, you know, in it's, it, it's hard, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear about the wrath of God, you know, or the wrath of the lamb, but God is going to be a very angry God and is now against sin and wickedness. Um, and, and so it's talking the word tribulation. We're supposed to picture pressing, you know, and, 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 um, this is not normal tribulation. Jesus, I think, was it John, the end of John or the end of Matthew? Where was it that Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. You know, I've overcome the world. Paul said in one place that through much tribulation, we have to enter the kingdom of God. But folks, this seven years is a whole lot different than just the tribulation of people not getting along or going through a rough time or having a disease and dying or, you know, having a breakup of their family or whatever. So this period of seven years, scripture refers to this, that it will be the beginning of the end of the age. It will be of such severity. Jesus said that no period in history, past or future will equal it. It says that it will be shortened for the sake of God's elect or else nobody could survive it. It is called the time of Jacob's trouble starts. The nations will also, all the other nations, will be judged because of their sin, because of their rejection of Jesus, and because of their treatment of the Jews. You know, I find comfort in the fact that what the Muslims and people, whether it's Russia or whomever, what they're trying to do to Israel, God is keeping a record of that. And God is going to make, he's going to settle all the accounts one day. This is going to last for seven years. And this period will be so bad that people will want to hide and even die. Even ask the mountains fall on us and kill us and hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Okay. 
So as we go over these judgments, um, it, it's, it's always best not to try to read too much into them um, of what they represent. Just, you know, it, we'll try to be brief and, and just descriptive. But there, there are seven of these sealed judgments. And when they're popped open, when they get to the seventh seal and it's popped open, seven more trumpet judgments. And then the seven trumpets will blow. But when you get to the seventh trumpet and it sounds, then there's seven more bowl judgments to come. So there is a lot of stuff going to happen to this earth. And by the way, I, I, need this, I need to stop here for a minute. Totally ask you something different. And here's why I thought about it. When I was thinking about what God is going to do to this earth, I started thinking about our Bible study on heaven with Randy Alcorn. I don't know if y'all get his email or if you're on there, but his wife, Nancy, is now hospice has been called in and he's asking everybody to pray. So if you would pray for Randy and Nancy Alcorn, um, she's evidently in her last days. So anyway, and he's, he's very, as you can imagine, very broken hearted about that. All right. So let's go to the first seal judgment. The rider of a, on a white horse, the anti, and what I'm doing now is summarizing for you what Dr. Ryrie and, and the other two that I've been studying uh, believe. The rider of the white horse, the Antichrist, is going out to try to conquer and make war with Jesus Christ and his followers. The second with Jesus Christ and his followers. The second seal, peace is removed from the earth with people killing each other on a massive level. The third seal, widespread famine, probably as a result of the global war that that just took place, folks. I can see the beginning of that now. The food thing especially, I can see the beginning of that. You know, this whole thing with oil, it's not just about gasoline in your car. Oil is involved in nearly everything in, in that we do or don't do. I mean, oil is, is being used. Um, and so th- this could cause, uh, like the, the fourth judgment, massive death from widespread famine and, and, and pestilence. The fifth seal, massive numbers of God's people are mercilessly killed. The sixth seal, a devastating earthquake accompanied by severe comic disturbances. People try to hide. There, uh, and there's going to be more of that, by the way, in the later judgments. And then that seventh seal brings about the seven trumpet judgments, which are worse than the seal judgments. So any comments or questions on, on those? Yes. Massive numbers of God's people mercilessly killed. Well, because the Antichrist is going to go after them. And as we've said several times, it's going to be hard to be saved during the tribulation, but they will. But it's going to, some people may die of natural causes, but I really believe the huge majority are going to die because they're a Christian. And, and, and they're going to be killed for that. Right, right, right. 
Anybody have any others? Let me look. I want to see. Da, da, da. That's, yes, that's the chapter. If you were to look at verse um, 16, and people said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. And there's that phrase, the wrath of the lamb. Well, that don't seem to go together, does it? A lamb is, you know, they're so docile and sweet and cuddly and the wrath of the lamb. That's, that's pretty strong. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Revelation 8 and Revelation 9. We'll be talking about the trumpet judgments. See if I want to make there. Da, 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 da. Charles Ryrie says the judgments announced by the trumpets follow chronologically those of the other seals. Um, and when it talks, he says in verse 7 that we'll see about a third part of the earth being burnt up in one of those judgments. He says, even though this, the implications seem staggering. There is no reason not to understand this plainly, that that is exactly what will take place. Um, Then he talks about wormwood. This plague will make a third part of all the fresh water supply of the earth unfit for human consumption. So let's just look at these real quickly. The first trumpet judgment, hail and fire upon the earth. One third of the earth is burned up. One third of the earth is burned up. I don't know. For me, this possibility is from nuclear detonation. That, that's how I see that happening. What else could burn up one third? Yep. And uh, the way it's going over there, I think they bit off more than they could chew right now. And it looks like he's getting desperate and will probably start off more than they could chew right now. And it looks like he's getting desperate and will probably start using those different kind of bombs, even probably nuclear at some point. Anyone else? Okay. The second trumpet, a fiery mountain, whether this is a literal or not, we don't know exactly, but it plunges into the sea, turning the waters bloody and one third of all sea creatures die. Can you imagine that? Folks, you know how much how many sea creatures there are? <laughs> Everything from the little tiny minnow to the huge orca whale. I mean, they die. The third trumpet, a star falls from heaven, resulting in a third of the waters becoming so bitter that people who drink them die. Devils, demons are released from the bottomless pit. And they torment humans for five months. People will try to die, but they will not be able to escape the pain. They will, but here's, here's the thing. They will long for death rather than repent to God. And if you go to uh, chapter nine, it, it says in verse five about the five months. And in verse six, and in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And then it goes on, if you go to the the last two verses, 
and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their theft. Pretty wicked people. is God unleashing, you know, unleashing these judgments, but he's still there probably trying to convince people, you know, to, to, to continue following him, worship him. Yep. We'll come back to him. I'm sure the sixth trumpet judgment, the sixth trumpet judgment, angels that have been bound at the Euphrates river are released and they kill one-third of humans that remain by plagues. And amazingly, those who are not killed will still not repent. Isn't that amazing? Jeremiah seventeen nine. what does that say? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that just shows that to be true. All right. Any, anything else that you might, that you read that you would like to comment on about the trumpet judgments? We know that the seven trumpet judgment results in the last seven bowl judgments. That'll be Revelation 16. Yes. Say that again now. Yeah. Aren't you glad we won't be here? Yeah. I'm I'm very thankful for that. Okay. Also, at about this time, let's go ahead and go into that too. Um, Religious Babylon. This is interesting. I was just listening to, um, on on Saturday morning, there's that call-in show with um, Michael Radelnik and Michael Lenningham. Yeah, but they, they are the ones that did the editing of the Moody Bible commentary that I love so much. And one of the questions that they called in, and he spent a long time explaining it, is that he believes Babylon, the actual city, will be a, a, a main point again. But it does represent um, a religious system. It does both. It, it's a religious system. You know, um, in fact, you know, when I'm um, trying to think of it now. In the New Testament, where they talked about Babylon, it was a code name for Rome. Okay? They, they didn't want to get in trouble with the Rome and the Caesars, so they would use the, the, the name Babylon. But as, as they were talking on the show that morning, that they believe that the, the city of Babylon will actually be in the, in the news again. It will be a main city where people will live and, and so forth. Um, but, of course, it also represents a world religion that has always been against God. And you know where it always goes? You know where it goes all the way back to? It goes all the way back to Genesis, what at 11, when they tried to build a tower of Babel. That's where it all began. 
Um, and Babylon has played an important part ever since. Now, Revelation 17, um, a lot of that, you know, hopefully you've read, but it talks about religious Babylon. And um, we want to, I just want to point out a few um, of the statements there. Because it can get kind of detailed when you start talking about the East and religious Babylon. It says there that they have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. See, so that's what you were asking about the Antichrist. He's still there. And these people are going to give him, the religious system is going to give him their power. And it says, and then these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with them are called and chosen uh, and faithful and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So you've got the political power with the Antichrist now overthrowing the false religious system of the world. Okay, so you go to verse 17, for God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. See, God's got all this planned already. And he's the one that's going to, these countries think they're doing it on their own? No. You know, God is the one that, that's fulfilling all of this. Um, all right. So I know there's a lot of symbolic language here, but, but the truth is um, there is going to be a one world religious system that is going to come into place and they are going to be pretty powerful until the antichrist makes war against them overthrows them and and will defeat them then evidently there's going to be another coalition of these 10 horns which he said that will then try to get together again to try to defeat um, the antichrist they won't have a success but god will God will. It won't even be a battle, really. So um, here's what um, Ron Rhodes says, and I just wanted to quote it. These kingdoms refer to the great world empires that we have seen of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and now that of the Antichrist. And the text in Revelation 17 tells us, and I'm trying to summarize it for you, that five of these kingdoms have fallen, one still exists, and one is yet to come, indicating that this religious system will be one worldwide, totally unfaithful to the truth of God, and that is why it is called a harlot, because it's unfaithful, will exercise powerful political clout among the, all the nations of the world, appears to be outward gloriously glorious while inwardly it is corrupt and it will persecute true believers during the tribulation. True believers, again, will die for, for, for their faith. Any comments or questions? It's a lot to take in, isn't it? However, we're, we're getting highlights here. We're not, we're not doing a um, detailed word for word study here. Did, you know, it, it, it can be overwhelming. All right. Yes. No, I think I mentioned last week or week before, I think there's a, 
framework already in the world for that to just kind of just move into a worldwide type religion. And the Antichrist is going to do a pretty good job of that. But then he'll turn against them. Right. Well, that's, that, that's true. And there's, there's, the framework is there. And by the way, um, it was also very interesting Two nights ago, the little radio that I've got in my bathroom, I turn it on when I'm brushing my teeth or, you know, or, or getting out of the shower or whatever. And it's, it's on uh, 91.9. It's on the Moody Channel. Um, and at 5 o'clock, is that Janet Partial? And so I'm, I'm listening to that. And guess what they were talking about? The temple. And they, she actually, and they were, she was talking to, two or three uh, people that live over there and that are in this Temple Institute. Somebody told me about templeinstitute.org or whatever. Okay. They are actually, they have actually done all that. They, are, they have all that stuff already done. And here's what he said. They're just waiting for the place to do it. You know, all the, the utensils and everything. And this also blew my mind. They have actually... They actually have over 3,000 Levites identified who can work in the temple. And that they have practiced sacrificial um, sacrifices. They've actually practiced it. And so it, it's really, I wish, I wish, I wanted to call all of you, but I couldn't and say, turn this on, turn this on. Because it was so interesting. You know, that they've actually done all that stuff. They're just waiting for the place to be able to do it. And like uh, the, the one doctor on there said, they don't really have to build a temple. They can put up a structure like the tabernacle. You know, they don't have to have a temple as such to get this thing going. So, folks, I'm just telling you, I mean, I am more convinced. I know we don't set dates, but I'm more convinced ever than ever before the Lord's coming and it's, I believe it's very, very soon, you know, and when I say that, I mean a matter of years, you know, uh, on one hand that, that, that the Lord Jesus is coming. Um, anyway, any other comments or questions? Okay, let's go. We got a little bit of time left. So let's go to Revelation 13, something else that is going to to happen. This is talking about the Antichrist, the beast, and his prophet. And in Revelation 13, well, let's just let's just read the first three verses, and then I want to read another verse, but without reason, reading the whole thing. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, 
and saw a beast, that's the Antichrist, rise up out of the sea, having, we're, now we're in about the midpoint, folks, okay? We're about the midpoint of the tribulation, okay? Um, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, Satan, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So Satan is now empowering the Antichrist. Okay, and I saw one of his heads. Now, this is important. The, the wording is important. And I want to, some of you that have a different translation to tell me what yours says. Um, and I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. And then um, verse 12 of that same chapter says, And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them which dwell therein, to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, um, here's, here's my question. The Antichrist is wounded and seemingly, seemingly resurrected. Okay? Did he really die? Does, does the wording, and read the word, you know, does the wording actually say that he died. No, it doesn't. And a lot of Bible-loving prophecy lovers believe this refers to the Antichrist who had a very mortal wound that, that would have probably killed most people, but it was healed by Satan. You know, that he was able to heal it. And they, John Wolverd, again, points out, and I believe probably so, that... Satan does not have the power to literally resurrect people. He could heal. He believes he could do that with his trickery, but he doesn't believe that he has the power to, to actually resurrect somebody that that's beyond his power. Um, what do you think about that? She said, it seems like he's going to fake his resurrection. Well, he's going to have a fatal, he's going to have a wound. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, and what were you going to say? Uh, right, right. He doesn't have the power to create either. That, that's true. But this, I think we would agree, let's agree on this. That this supernatural event, whether it was a, a a wound that was should have resulted in death but didn't, is a contributing factor to people worshiping the Antichrist, you know, and believing that he probably did rise from the dead, you know, a godlike recovery. I, I can't I cannot emphasize enough to you, Satan is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent. 
He's, he doesn't have all knowledge, all presence, or all power. He can't be everywhere like the Holy Spirit can be. He can't do that. Um, and, and he can only do what the Lord allows him to do even now. And even during the tribulation, anything that God does not allow him to do. I mean, folks, listen, you know, he's had, he's had thousands of years of tricking people. So he kind of knows what to do in that area. First Peter 5, 8, walking around like a roaring lion trying to find somebody to devour. Okay? So the Antichrist is wounded, has a seemingly resurrection that's going to turn a lot of people. Satan, now let's go to chapter 12, because right at this time also, it seems like that Satan, and we'll close with this, is going to be cast out of heaven. Revelation 12 and verse 12. Well, we could do seven. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. I'm trying to find my place here on here to keep reading. Okay. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You see now, after this happens, no more Satan in heaven. And he cannot be up there like he's doing now trying to accuse the brethren and, and, and make us look bad before God. He can't do that. So rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. And we're going to stop there um, and pick that up next week and then go with the when the world church is destroyed and the two witnesses of God that get killed and they are resurrected in a miraculous resurrection. All right. Any comments or questions before we close up tonight? I got to think about that. That's too involved. Yeah. Walking to and fro in the earth. Yeah. Yep. All right. Lord, yes. Of the tribulation? Not really. Um, I think we talked about it weeks ago that um, a lot of people think about maybe three, three and a half years. But as I tell people now, I believe we're in the shadows of the tribulation now. We're not in it. We're not in it. As you know, as we just read, but we're in the shadows. Well, that the war that may, Gog and Magog, um, or it may be in the middle. We don't really, it doesn't really tell us exactly when that will take place.
But man, with what Russia's doing now and joining up with China and Iran, who knows? Yep. Okay, Lord God, we thank you for this evening and this group that is so interested in your word. And again, I, I think of the words of the song that I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And Lord, that's true of these folks. They've heard it, they, they've heard it before, but we, we hunger and thirst to hear it again and to hear that you win. And because of that, we win. And so we ask you to be with us tonight. Keep us safe. Um, Lord, meet the needs of those that are struggling maybe with health issues. And we pray for Randy and Nancy Alcorn. And would ask and pray, Lord, for you to be merciful to them uh, as she's suffering greatly now with this cancer. And um, unless you intervene in, in, the, in the end times of her life. But we know she loves you and is saved and has actually asked that she could go to be with you. So we ask your, your blessing on them. In Christ we pray. Amen.